Today I'm speaking with James Austin Farrell. James is originally from the north of England, though he left there a long time ago, went travelling in Europe and Central America, before he eventually settled here in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where he's been for about 20 years. He's a fiction writer and has been since his early 20s, as well as being a freelance journalist for about 15 years. And he's worked as a magazine editor, reporting on news and writing features. He currently writes scripts for one of the largest YouTube animation channels, which gets between 70 and 100 million video views per month, as well as writing tech journalism for a Silicon Valley media company. It's a pretty chilled chat on a Friday over a glass of red. We spoke about writing, of course, but also life in the UK versus life in Thailand. Here's my conversation with Mr. Farrell. James Austin Farrell, welcome to the Task Podcast. Hey, how's it going? All right, mate. Friday afternoon? Yep, work's done. It is. End of the week. So, uh, we met how long ago? We met in Pi about three, four years ago, maybe. five, Maybe even five years ago now. Um, I think 2014, in the pub. I think you thought I was a bit of a ruffian, right? You, no, you, you were in a pub, sat on uh, the other side of the pub, and as usual, I was telling stories, and you overheard a story about um, something I'd written about a, a man called Benny Murphy, who was right. um, charged with a crime that he didn't commit and served 11 years. He learned Thai inside, and then he studied law in Thai, and then um, he spent the remaining years in jail... Um, um, developing cases against everybody that sent him down, and in the end, he he ended up with about two hundred and eight um, charges against various officials, and he won, and he you know, became a celebrity in Thailand. I remember speaking to you about it, and I remember connect, I'm connected to him now on Facebook. I don't think I've ever chatted to him, but that story was a really interesting story, right? That you so you wrote, you just interviewed him and wrote a piece on it, yeah? Is that yeah, how it I, I I went to visit him in Bangkok. I spent a day in Bangkok with him, which was difficult because a day. With a, he handed me a bunch of papers that were about as thick as the Bible, and um, it's very difficult. He said, "Yeah, read through that," and and then all of that's in Thai. And then he's got one day to tell me this fantastic story. This uh, quite a um, a grim tale of not how he got arrested and also what happened to him in prison because he made a nuisance of himself because he learned the law, the correctional's law too. He got moved from jail to jail because he kept demanding things. Like there's a, bit, a story online called The Most Expensive Bananas in Thailand because he sued the jail for charging too much for bananas. He sued them for not having a TV. And all he said is, I just kept suing the bastards. <laughs> and then they kept moving me. And then they put a hit out on me. But the other prisoners wouldn't hurt him because everything he was doing was for them. Yeah. But he did, have, he did get his teeth knocked out once and... But the thing is, he was very positive. And I said, you must feel some anger or bitterness or regret. And he said, what's the point in that? Just happy I'm out. He's an interesting character. We didn't come to talk about him, but actually, he is an interesting story. You should talk to him. No, I should do. You just made me think, actually, it would make an interesting yeah. conversation. I may well do that. Um, so your background, you've been a, uh, you know, you, you're a writer. You've, you've been a journalist as such. You've been in Chiang Mai for... I don't know how long, 20 plus years. 20 exactly. 20 exactly. Um, you've taught journalism um, on and off. You've worked for, as an editor for Chiang Mai City Life for some time. You, I know you write for um, some YouTube animation channel stuff, which I also did with you. Um, has writing always been a love, something, you've, something you grew into, something that's been with you Absolutely. since your early days? Um, I, I had a... A really strange upbringing. I was adopted, and and as an adopted kid, I, I think you're always curious as to what you could have been. My my name is actually was actually a Sean Michael Allison. That's my that was my original name. So knowing that, even as a little kid, you, you knowing that there's this separate existence, and even though you know you have a certain character in accordance with your DNA. Right and and what develops, but then you have the character that develops in the environment. And I knew there was another guy out there. I put the possibility of another guy. So that that makes you very creative already, because you're always thinking, who who the fuck's this Sean guy? What would what would he have done? And so I think 
I mean, I'm, I, I might be romanticising this, but, but you know, it could have just been that I like writing, but I was always writing. For, for, when I was 12, I, I wrote a poem, very depressing, and you know me, I'm quite morbid at times, and it was called The World Is At An End. Uh, it was very stupid, and, and you know, it was rubbish, but I was 12. The people don't seem to blend, nobody likes anybody there. Now there is a thing called AIDS, and people balance on razor blades. And, but the teacher liked it for a 12-year-old. Yeah. And then he sent me, because I was, a, I was what you might call a rapscallion, I was a very bad kid, always got sent to the front of the class. And so he, but he put, when I went to high school, he put me in the top group in literature because of these poems I was writing, which really inspired me. So he, be, he was, his name was Mr. Smith, and he, be, he became the teacher in a novel that I wrote later. And it just shows you that just one man, that just, you know, one man that can, you know, just say, hey, he's good at one thing at least. Yeah. You know, and that, that I, 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 I remember him really fondly, this one man that was good to me, because the rest of the teachers hated me. So important, man, isn't it? Like yeah. encouragement at that age, being told, yeah. being validated. Especially at home. I mean, I've, I got my first po po poem published about 16 years old. Yeah. And, I, um, and that was called dystopia. That, that was also a, a, a bit dark. But, you know, taking it, my mum was like, why are you wasting your time with that rubbish? Whereas, you know, when you have one person who's like, no, carry on with this. Yeah. You know, a Yorkshire family's like, you're not going to get paid for writing bloody poems, are you? <laughs> get that bloody mill like we did. <laughs> they need spinners at Burnley's. You know, so, <clears throat> yeah. If just one person in life, it, that's all it takes. And I, I, I know that now, as my, you know, certainly when you come from a working class background, when your teachers are kind of, you know, it's riot control in the classroom and nobody is inspiring you and everyone's telling you that, you know, you're the working class and this is what you do, you know, life shit, you get a trade, but if you, if you it, it, within all that, if you have one person, just it, it, it can make every difference. So I want to be that one person want, for someone else one day, you know. I yeah, hope well, I can be. Interesting. It's a good story, which good stories are what you're about. So d did you... What books... You published a book, right? You just mentioned then you went I, on to publish bef a book. Before I, I... Fiction was always my thing. I fell into journalism by accident when I was doing spoken words in pubs, reading short stories. So I yep. started writing short stories at a very young age. Uh, and... You know, they were immature, not very good, but some of them were okay because they were, they were honest. And that's all it takes, really. You, if, they were, they were, a lot of them were quite autobiographical, but honest. I really went into the things, the taboo things that you don't talk about, the really, really, really intimate and, and personal things. So people liked them. Um, and then, yeah, so I fell into journalism because someone offered me a job after listening to me. And... And then I started a novel in, when I was 32, so 13 years ago, uh, and that was my big novel, mm. and I still haven't finished it. This is it. the one we have chatted about over, so over 500 numerous words. glasses of wine and argued about comp the yep. getting it out there. And <clears throat> well, because I realised that, you know, I'd written over 500 words, I'd I, and I realised I, was, I wasn't mature enough to write a book that was very philosophical, that, 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 that was the book that I thought would had, a, you know... Um, profound meaning oh. the book the book that I you know the novel that I wanted to write so what I did in the meantime and it was also very dark you know it, it's it's the darkest thing I've ever written it, it scares me the thought of going back to it it depresses me because it, it really hurt me writing it um so I thought I'd write Angry Birds another novel in between okay just, this is the one you did publish yeah okay, that yeah. was published J just to take my mind off um the, the other novel, which I am going to get back to, I, I just needed to mature. You, you, when you when you're really young writing a novel, sometimes you're too you're too much in the characters. Whereas you know, I, I the other day I was speaking to my friend and I said, you can't be Jesus, you can't be sacrificing yourself, you can't be part of the characters too emotionally involved. And I was because it was all about childhood and England, not me, but uh, you know, someone else that was let's say uh, close to the the life I'd lived, and if I was too I was too much in the novel. What you have to be, you can't be Jesus, you must be God. You must have grown up. You can look over the novel and still be able to communicate those feelings, yet, yet not be so much, so emotionally involved. Mm. So I needed to mature. And also read a lot of books. I've been reading a hell of a lot of books related to what I've been writing. 
which is you know violence and drug addiction and things and, and, and so I've been reading a lot of psychology you like your dark stuff right yeah I'm fascinated by the dark side um, yeah I, I, I hate violence in what you might call real life I, 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 I can't stand the sight of it but you know just it fascinates me the, the badness the, the you know the, the, the uh, you know the dark side you, you might you know Carl Jung said you know we, we have each of us has this these two sides this this and we have to we have to accept that you know that there's a kind of monster within us all yet most of us hold it back we have these things in the front of our brains you know in the, in the front in the um, frontal um, lobes that stop us you know sometimes we we have these just moments where you where you get very angry but you but you, you know you you tell yourself well that's not reasonable calm down um, and blah blah blah, uh, but some people don't. Some people can't do that. They can't hold back. And I'm fascinated by those people. Yeah, that is interesting. There is definitely there is a gap between, you know, you, what you think and what you do. Obviously, otherwise the world would be chaos. But, but I think some people blame themselves for the, for you know, for the state of their their mind. You know, not realizing that ultimately we all think all sorts of shit, but we all do, you know, different sorts of things, right? There's a, there's a different. There, there is a choice in acting. You believe, you know. There, there's always a choice, but I think, you know, from what I've been reading, and 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 just from growing up, you know, I mean, I, I grew up with a lot of violent people, a lot of really horrible people. I mean, one of my friends was murdered. Uh, a lot of my friends were just into fighting. Uh, some of them were lovely, but there were just it was a culture of like hard men, like in, in the school. Who's the cock of the school was more important than who was good at math. It was all about being tough, and I sometimes I sometimes get a kind of conspiracy theorist thing about this, where I think, well, you know, is that what they want? Who I don't know who they is, but you know, is that what? <laughs> that's what conspiracy some, theorists somebody wants, the like for the for the working class to be just a bunch of hoodlums that that will go fight if you need them to fight. But you know, but um, I don't I don't think it, that there is a there. I just think it's self perpetuating. It just happens. But what was I saying? Yeah, so I. I grew up around this and, and and it interested me, you know, trying to understand why it happens. So in the novel, I, 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 it's, not, it's not a novel that's trying to preach or coach or, or tell anybody. The novel is what it is. It's very violent and, 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 and quite taboo. I wanted to write something that was shocking. Things that, you know, it might not even get published these days. This was, how long did you, you wrote this over a number of years? I wrote you? it over 10 years. And then, yeah, okay. it, so until I was... But it's all influenced by your your childhood in the UK. Yeah, it's completely English. fictional. Yeah. Uh, but it's influenced by not just childhood, by by a lot of things, like things that people have said said to me. Like I can't I don't want to go too much into it, but um that there, there's that the person a lot it's called bored and and, and 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 I believe that boredom and disconnection is one of the reasons people be, become um let's say uh bitter are enraged because they don't have connections with other people like adopted kids or kids that are abused kids that are traumatized they live in these isolated worlds sometimes they're full of fantasies and when those fantasies they, they can be dark fantasies and if they act out on them then, then then you have things like serial killers so people need to be connected and loved but so that's why the novel's called bored because somebody's isolated back in england after traveling the world by themselves on the street and this person's alone with a computer and it's the danger of what can happen when someone just doesn't get out. But, you know, one of the things that influenced me is a good friend of mine said he was one day taking pictures of children because they were running in the rain and trying to shield from the rain. And he thought it was really cute. But then um, he uh, was under a citizen's arrest because, of, because somebody thought that it could be a paedophile. So for him, it was this, you know, really horrid moment. That For him, it was this... An innocence such innocence he was so my mm. character you know when my parents were young they'd always peep outside I always remember them saying there was a guy on the street that kind of never just walked the dog and he never talked to anyone and my mum would look through the window and be like oh kitty fiddler definitely you know and I was like fucking hell the poor guy he's probably just in there reading you know Dostoevsky or something like he's <laughs> He's, he, he might be a genius. He just he's just not very good at socialising. This does seem to be an English thing, though. I don't know that there was you know there is a well, vigilante think, aspect to, and maybe this was an eighties thing as well. Yeah, I think it, so. There was a real vigilante kind of aspect to, um, you know, protecting society in that way, and 
know, yeah, but looking I mean, my parents weren't weren't about protecting. For for them, they were fulfilled with, with the gossip because it made them feel better than him because they were oh, okay. very unhappy. And and as for the pathology, you know, they were. Uh, involved in a kind of voyeurism. They were the peeping Toms. So who was mentally ill? Not the guy on the street, but my parents for peeping. You know, that, 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 that's, that's a sign of... That's, there's a great short movie in that. That's yeah, a, the like, peepers. Yeah, there's a really great little... Uh, it wasn't just my parents. I think a lot of parents, you know, were the kind of people that peep behind the curtains. You just don't get out and communicate. Well, you didn't have Facebook to peep, did you, then? Like, no. You had, like now, <laughs> True, yeah. now, now you can spy and like, you know, and, and you can do it all online now. Man, England was. We, I mean, we had we've had different upbringings, but also some similarities. I mean, I, you know, kind of flipped between working class and, you know, that whole class structure in England. But what what was the north of England like? I mean, wait, you're from Bradford, right? Did you? Well, live it's in a small town. It's a Bradford postcode. Yeah. It's it was a very. Um, in the eighties, so you were brought up. You were in the eighties. Yeah. In the eighties, in a you know. in a working class. Northern England, outside Bradford Village, or yeah, it was mainly working class. There, it was split. There was, you know, there was some parts of. I mean, there was this beautiful museum called the Red House Museum, where Emily Bronte used to stay. The Bronte sisters used to stay there, yeah. apparently. Um, and then, you know, there were manor houses. So it was one of those old villages where you have like the manor house, yeah. which was the. And then you would have, I guess, uh, you know, there'd be this giant house, and then the, I don't know the history of it, but. It was a village, and the, most of the village was poor, except, except a few families. And the poor people, uh, there was a mill, and there were quite a few mills in that area. And I guess a lot of the people, like my mum, would work in the mills. But there were some rich families in the area. And when I grew up, also a lot of you know, middle-class kids. But there were also you know, two council estates. And um, just down the street, there were a couple of towns that, that were, 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 were worse. Um, in terms of just the lack of kind of social development, yeah, and you know, you, you, it was similar. Milton Keynes was different. This is England like, type thing. There was yeah, a yeah, National yeah, right, Front okay. NF spread on so many walls on the co-op. It was like National Front was NF. Tough, you know, it was, it was a tough place. Skins man. and England in that time. I mean, I don't <clears> know. I haven't lived there for twenty years right now. Twenty three years, but I've got some horrible memories growing up and yeah, being beaten up and all sorts of it. You know, it's funny how people have. People who are not from the UK have a kind of rose-tinted glass look of it in some ways. And I've gone to places all over Asia where I've never felt unsafe, yet people in England will be like, oh, you didn't go there, did you? And well, even now... I, the most place I felt most in danger was probably the wrong pub in the wrong part of town in, in, in cities in England, I think. It's very tribal. Like We, we, we used to... Not me. The older, the older lads. We used to call them the lads. I mean, they would sometimes... Have I'd be at the back, <laughs> but I never fought. So I was just no good at it and tiny. But uh, you know, we'd have inter-town fighting and stuff, and and there was always fight and blood on the street. One thing that I remember, you know, you always have these moments in your life that 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 change you, profound moments. They can be very small, and one of them is when I went back from, from, to England from Thailand, and it was New Year. We were walking down the street, and there was t these two middle-aged or older than middle, like sixty years old. 65 women and there was fighting all up in the street as usual because there, there was always fighting and the two women behind me said oh look at them they're fighting in lumps they're and what? they're fighting in lumps like like you know lumps yeah, yeah, like yeah. lots of them <laughs> but it was a kind I, I i i heard in their voice a kind of pride oh, okay you know what i mean and i thought god that's it it's really just kind of normalized here you don't go, you shouldn't be, like when, you know, we go out here, we go out to talk and we make friends, but it, there, you go out and, and fighting happens so often, it's like barbaric, but the women behind, they, they, like they're fighting in lumps, John I, it's like, no, why are they fighting in lumps, what, cause what's wrong with them, like, you know, th th that's a problem to me, and all over the north, these little towns, I'm, you know, it, it happens, um, and it's one of the reasons I left. I just don't, Same like, here. I just don't like that. Same here. main... Well, I, you know, I, I had a lot of trouble looking a bit different. I mean, not that I look different now, but back then being a bit of a punk or goth or went through every stage, I think. But, man, the amount of trouble I had. I was like, I don't want to deal with this trouble. You know, it's like... Alternative was not a good thing to be. No, no. In the UK. Like I think the 90s helped a bit, but... Just long hair was okay in the 90s. Suddenly. Yeah, but, like... I mean, um, yeah, the 90s was when I was... But, yeah, I, I can, can relate to that. It was not an easy place, right? And you came... So you 
You came straight to Chiang Mai, you travelled? No, I, I, I travelled. I was always trying to get away. Um, um, the first time I was 16, I went on holiday with my friends in 1990, and it was it was fantastic. Just I, I, I loved the freedom. And I didn't, like I said, the family thing wasn't very good. And I wanted to get away. Uh, so then my first attempt was, I think I was about 18, and we went to Spain. My One of my friend's friends had bought a speedboat, and he was going to start his business, and he had a, a big sausage and water skis. But when we got there, they'd sunk the speedboat, and the sausage had been nicked. <laughs> and we had no money. Yeah. So we lived on eggs and vodka uh, for about two weeks and, and came tickets home. tickets for nightclubs? No. It's funny, my best friend, actually, he died, unfortunately. But he called me, when I got back, because I said, I'm not coming back, he called me Phileas Farrell, around the world in seven days. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful guy. Uh, so I, you know, I, I was blushing when I came back. But then I went again to France to go grape picking. Again, ill, ill thought out. I thought I could stay away, but that failed. Kept running out of money. But then at 22, things got really drastic in England. I, I won't say what, I won't go into it, but I had to leave. That I, I wouldn't have survived, I don't think. I had to, I had to leave. And um, then I went to a kibbutz in Israel. And I would have run out of money, except I met a Canadian girl who put my head right, told me how to save, and we lived for three years happily ever after. We travelled in India, in um, Nepal. We lived in Mexico for a year. Um, <clears throat> and we had a great time. Yeah, a, a chaotic time. Not always great, but um, and then I, I, I then I re she kind of helped me, and I realised okay, I can write, I can teach, I can do all these things in other countries, and that's when I realised I, I can go where I want. I just have to use my head and not run out of money. So you know, the first few attempts were, were rubbish. It's kind of cool having that thought at that age, because now everyone thinks like that, to be honest. But back then, very few people no. did. So I mean, now <laughs> it's like everyone thinks they well, everyone can. I mean, there was no internet back then, no mobile phones. Um, you know, work jobs were typically you go there and you work. You know, there was no um, now it's you know, you have access to everyone, you're connected to everyone, and yeah. you can work wherever you I ran out of money so. in Nepal, and it's you know, back then it's like, well, yeah, I ran out of money where, in India. Where, where do you so, get yeah. your money from? You can't, you can't just get someone to put it in PayPal, you know, you, you, you have to at least have some money to call someone back home and say, can you, you know, put some in Western Union or something like that. But yeah, it was, it's more dangerous. But um, yeah, I would have always been lucky to have good people around me, for mm. sure. Things could have been a lot worse. Like the girl, she she not only helped me to learn how to travel, she helped me not many other. Like when the friend I just mentioned who called me Phileas Farrell, and she paid for me to go back to his funeral when he died of a heroin overdose. Um, so yeah, I've always had really good people around me. Been very quite fortunate in that respect, you know, to have very good friends yeah, and right. girlfriends and you throughout <laughs> that writing's always been a oh yeah I was always similar. writing the whole yeah, time right. you, I, I won't, can't show you now you, I, I have stacks of notebooks and because I didn't have an education I left school at 15 and, but I was always interested in reading literature from a very young age but I d couldn't understand the words because I hadn't had a formal education so you, you can see stacks of books back there with vocab and the meanings I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of words until I could basically read anything without much problem besides maybe, you know, there were some really pretentious authors that are impossible to understand that I still struggle with. But that's how I started at 16, just writing words down and, and mm. okay, what does that mean? How would you use it in a sentence? And, and it took years to be, um, to have the, because once you've been, when you've been told your entire life that you're an idiot and you can't do anything and... You know, it, it 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 takes a kind of almost psychopathy to say I'm going to be a writer. Yeah, you definitely. Know? And everyone laughs. A lad out of northern Northern England who's um. Yeah. When I first told my friends I was a journalist, they thought I'd rigged it. They thought it was a scam. That yeah. I'd somehow like you know that it was a lie. It's like no, it's it's real. I I, I, I you know I mean I wasn't. It didn't work for any big publication or anything. But you know was, this this must be a family trait, right? I, I don't know if I can mention. Well, talk about your brother. It's like. Clearly, both of you are quite against the grain in terms of. Yeah, we're both adopted. I mean, yeah. we say oh, my sister. We say my okay. sister because yeah. uh, she's transgender. I, I, I okay. So you say your sister. You. I, yeah, of course. 
I mean, sometimes I slip up because I'm talking about the past. Yeah. Because I've always said he, and you can. And she doesn't mind at all. Yeah. You know, she, she won't be on Twitter, you know. Um, <laughs> Ra- a- raging about her pronouns. No, she's, she's, <laughs> she's very, very open-minded and, and very clever and way, way above all that. Right, you know, not way above the the the, the outrage and and the, the kind of identity politic thing and, um, but yeah, so we were adopted from separate families. Yeah, but for, funnily enough, both families were were from Yorkshire, but both families moved to America. So I have two half sisters in America. Okay, I never knew that. So, and it, I mean, this is about you, not about your sister, but it is interesting for me, like, because as a brother. Um, you know, it, I mean, it, man, it's like it's the ultimate interesting um, conflict story, really. You know, I mean, you know, working class lad in in Yorkshire, um, brother who goes is transgender, and, 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 and in, in the eighties when I mean now it's people are but didn't you know, know it as this, well. But back then, you know, Northern England in the eighties was it in the eighties? Yeah, we grew up in the eighties. Like, did you get a lot of flack for that? Did you have to deal with flack or did well, all, every day? Yeah, Do you right. shag your brother? Because my brother, my sister, never, we, we didn't have a word transgender yeah, right. when we were know what seven. They, it was transvestite, I think, back you know, then, but it was... But my sister would, you know, be, was a girl from, from, from us, I don't remember the boy. I always remember the, we, we'd always play doctors and nurses, and she was the nurse. You know, she'd do cartwheels and handstands and was always very feminine, always only had female friends. Yeah. And we grew up like that. I mean... So growing up, yeah, of course, almost every day someone say, "Do you sh- do your bum in the bathroom? Does she come into your room at night?" Was a favourite, and the thing is that you know, I never ever said anything bad, you know, because I I loved my brother and I loved my sister, but I I never also w- was aggressive, which is something I've kind of felt guilty about. But I don't think that's in my personality. I just walk away. I wouldn't say anything, but yeah, that would. But it was much worse for her, you know. I mean. She got headbutted. Yeah. She got bullied. Walking through supermarkets. I mean, and it was unheard of. It was. Then. What's that? Yeah. What the fuck is that? You know, just and you, you wonder. Sorry if I'm getting emotional. No, I'm you're right. Maybe. It's, uh, but you wonder why? Why on earth? What's wrong with you? What? Why? Why? Why does it bother you that someone dresses differently or acts differently? I mean, th- this is the underlying problem of mankind. Like, like. You have to learn. You have to learn something. You have to be self-aware. You have to understand that you're spinning in a rock in an infinite universe, and we're all here together. And 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 we really don't know why. But chill out. Just relax. You know that. Like we, you don't need that anger. Like turn it into something else. Like curiosity. Why not ask? Hey, you're dressing differently. That's interesting. You know. But you know, people are scared of. Well, things. it comes from fear, doesn't it? Totally. I mean, it's it does, but they they should the fact they don't have the you know the fleshy machinery in their brain to to actually say, oh yeah, why am I angry? Mm. That's what worries me that people can't say that. What, what, what's funny, my I don't problem? Know what, where it comes from, I don't know. Because I I mean, obviously not like your sister, but just looking different in the nineties. You know, I got bottled bottled in a in a pub when oh, I was really? sixteen. Yeah, like I never got hospitalized purely from looking purely from looking different. <laughs> Purely from being a bit crazy, you know, having Robert Smith style hair, having a bit of makeup on. Okay, that's yeah. amazing. Someone would bottle you for yeah, properly bottle. But it for having. But I never really thought about the motivation for that. I don't know. You know, it, it is. It's the same thing. It's okay. This is different, and I'm scared of different. It doesn't make sense. You know, from my point of view, it's probably just not being sure of that. You know, not understanding what and not wanting to be. Well, actually, necessarily conformed, right? It's my like, sister, but then back then, my brother, we still went by the he then, would, had a, uh, a group of friends that were goths. Yeah, well, that's and what we were. Robert group Smith of goths. was kind of, you know, yeah. semi goth. Uh, he wasn't quite full goth, like skeletal family, you know, but, you know, but. Yeah, he was going from his punk to his. <clears> yeah. yeah, but they all dressed, and I think that was a great outlet for my brother, who, who was able <laughs> to dress up. And it didn't mean just having, you know, wearing... Well, because I used to wear make- makeup like that, and you know, but it was nothing to do with my my gender, my sexuality. It was purely to do with self-expression around music and creativity at the time, right? But the amount of trouble I used to get for it, literally. Which is funny, right? Because, you know, in the... I can't remember which era. I think it's 
pre-Victorian era, you know, men wore makeup all the time. It's quite it's quite normal for men to make, to wear wigs and to wear makeup, and uh, you know, to be uh, kind of like a what what's the word a fob, um, you know, to be. There's a word, and I can't remember. It's a word they used to use, but you know, to 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 really dress up and put a lot of makeup on, and that was seen as the height of fashion. Whereas you do that in the eighties, and and you have you know a Heineken shard of glass in your head. Well, you're either you're either famous and making millions from it, or you're beaten up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was no real in between back then, right? Yeah, I I don't understand these people, and to be honest, I I I don't want to. Say, I had a really good group of friends that that always stuck up for my brother and and you know even some of the hard kids that weren't what you might call you know kind of liberal um, like we were acid heads you know uh, quite open in our minds just some of the tough kids were, were very nice um, also to my to my brother back back in the day um, so yeah people people were also very accepting too yeah that's good to I, well, I you know I don't want to kind of tint. All, all my friends back there. No, most people were, were 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 very accepting and really really kind and friendly. But unfortunately, there was a minority. But that minority have probably been abused at home too. You see, so it's a it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. They're probably suffering their own trauma. So then they go home. Their drunken dad, you know, whacks them round the head, gets his belt out, gives them a few lashes, and you know they have to find a victim themselves then. Because they need to, um, they need some power too. They've lost all their power at home, so they need to exert their violence on someone else. So it's a vicious cycle, and that's why I like reading about serial killers and, and writing about violence. Because I, I, I actually feel sorry for most people that commit heinous acts. I, I know that might not sound good, but you know, I'm not the kind of guy that read that reads the no, Daily exactly. Mail and says. Cut off his balls, hang him from the highest tree. You know, I, this is a guy in my I'm novel like that. No, you would I, rather understand the problem. I'm trying to yeah. think what's going on with these people. Yeah. And if you look at the history, I mean, I've just spent, you know, a few years reading about uh, reading about some of the worst criminals that, that you know ever existed, and writing about you know in, in those those animations that I do, as you know, and you know, all these people, much ninety nine percent, have come from the most horrid backgrounds. You know, way worse than you know getting a shoe or the belt. Like I'm talking some seriously horrible things. So, you know, be aware, and even overbearing mothers, you know, just be aware when you talk to people that anything you say, you know, how it can affect other people, you know, the bullying. You, you, you could be helping create something really awful. How do you, you, how do you see, um, I mean, you, you understand Thai culture a lot better than I do. You've been here a lot longer. Twenty, half my life almost. Exactly. Well, it's interesting. How, how do you see it as a comparison to... To culture everywhere, but obviously to UK, <clears throat> British culture because you were brought up there. You know, is it is it about country or is it about behave? Is it about how you're treated when you when you're um when you're brought up, or is it a combination of both? Or you know, what are your thoughts on that? I. Well, the thing is, uh, I mean, English culture is an expressive culture, and Thai culture is um, um, what's the word? kind of repressed reserved. culture reserved repressed well, British is no so you know you go back I always remember writing a story I was writing a short story when I and I was in the Phuket airport with a huge hangover it was called the uh, I forgot the name of the story <laughs> never mind but uh, oh, the, re, the, 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 the Gibbon Rehabilitation Project and I was in the airport and I remember just having this moment again one of those moments I'm always having these moments and that I never forget and there's all these foreigners shouting hi da 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 and a lot of the noise they were making was pointless. It was almost like they had to fill the air. They had to fill the time because they, they had to exert their ego onto other people. They had to say something. Just quietness. I think they would have been worked up into a, into a quiet hell. right? So, but the ties I saw were just sat there, just relaxing, not saying a damn word. And I thought, yeah, we, we're so expressive, so individualistic. But sometimes that's too much, as you see on Twitter. We, we have to say something. I don't know. We we so uh, yeah. That's the major difference. Um, but I I can't go into how the cultures differ. It's just way too complex. You remind me. You just made me think of a story. Actually, funnily enough, and, and actually it reflects that in another in in the same way that you know behaviour in certain situations. We were, I was at the airport, Bangkok airports of Anapun with Will, who you met a mate of mine who's a photographer from Sydney, mm. and we were standing at the gate, and some guy 
who looked crazy, uh, a foreign guy, I don't know, European guy, looked like he hadn't slept for about five days, maybe drugs or whatever it was. It looked, I mean, he was in violent mode, behaving crazy, no shirt on, got all the way to the gate. Don't, no one knew where he'd come from and was talking crazy like he was off his head and looking and trying to get on the plane. And uh, the Thai police kind of came, I don't know if they were immigration police or police, there was two of them, quite big, but the way they dealt with it was just so different to how it would have been. This guy was going crazy. They just walked at a steady pace. You could see them coming. They didn't speed up. They didn't slow down. And their energy of kind of calm assertiveness just made him stop. And they walked up and just took hold of him and cuffed him. He didn't do anything. And I think he was just so kind of, he was almost knocked over physically by their emotional energy of being calm. And mm. I'm sure he would have had an awful time when the cells were locked but yeah it was interesting well, you, how you that, that would have been dealt with differently well i mean i mean in thailand it's it's <clears throat> i mean i don't want to generalize because it's too easy to generalize but you know you do have people that repress that that their urges right and and we have you know the frontal lobes to do that so you 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 know everybody has you know uh uh a, what you call a rage a rage circuit in the brain everyone has a dominance circuit in the brain right and and it doesn't matter if you're Thai or English we all have it we all want to be dominant and we all you know the rage circuit if you've, if you've heard of that I mean it's, they've, they've had these experiments with cats where they they, they somehow manage to um, to um, affect they, 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 they tie the cat up and they somehow manage to the cat's really calm and then they they somehow send an electrical shock a small shock to the to the rage circuit and the cat just fucking attacks like crazy and this this is the kind of this is not anger anger's different rage is when you see people stamping on people's heads or losing their head we all have that ties have that but then you've got the frontal lobes that hopefully stop that serial killers in in many studies that they don't they, they they don't they don't there's not as much activity in those lobes and sometimes that's because of head injury um but we've obviously that's the brain, but there's something in the culture too. So the entire culture you do hold back. It doesn't matter about the, these rage circuits. But what I have seen in Thailand is that people do hold back, but, but when they let go, the rage circuit is even worse here. Like the the, the violence is way more violent. You know, when, when Thais do let go, this is right you'd never you know, we all know not to get in arguments here because you, you might not walk out of the pub alive. You know. Yeah, you right. might have your head and you may not recognise when it's squashed with by twenty feet. You might get a knife in the back for for abs for really a small thing, for for a really small transgression. And the story, the, you know, I was a journalist. I was writing the, the stuff I've written about the the photos I've been sent. You know, we had a stringer who used to send me photos, and some of the bloody photographs, man, because these things this aren't is when published. You were at City Life. Yeah, I became a. We we had a. We started a. a we started a news service. First time anybody. Now that you've got a few on Facebook, what we did really it wasn't it wasn't you know rocket science. We we just took all the Thai stories and then we translated them and then we tried we called the cops, tried to get a different angle, just just made sure that the thing did happen. Tried to get some more information. Sometimes called the families if we could. Just tried to you know not just copy the story but but create the story. But the the things that happen here over you know. It's like when I interviewed this, the, the, the head of um, Homicide in Region 5, which is all around Chiang Mai. And he said, yeah, it's very different here. You don't get a warning. So that rage circuit just can seem to just go off like that cat, you know. And I saw things, you know, like... I remember one photo I was sent was... The guy had shot his girlfriend over jealousy. There are a lot of people getting shot over jealousy. That's so stupid. But, um, but her face... He shot in a way that her face came off just about, and but it stuck to the wall, like a lot of her face actually stuck to the wall. So I, it, it was one of the most disgusting things I've ever woken up to. So I was right in the morning. A lot of the stringer stuff would come in the morning, but I was like, man, could you not have just talked it out, like given it a day, <laughs> you know? But yeah, so yeah, it's. I think this certain repression of, of, of anger is, is, has, has a negative. There must be a happy, you know, a, a middle point somewhere, a middle way. Yeah. 
because in England it's quite annoying just to walk down the street and everybody's really outrageously kind of um, loud and uh, you know you go to a pub and everyone's hey guys it's just like oh, just be quiet please just <laughs> stop talking like you're too loud. You can be pretty loud, you know, though, in the bar still. I just took my... Well, my pitch <laughs> is loud. That's just your natural voice level. Yeah, right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not... I'm not... I'm not... I don't think... Or maybe that's insecurity sometimes. I do like to be heard, you're right. But, you know, it's not It's not a shouting over everybody else. It's maybe just, you know, holding holding fort and regaling people with stories, which I tend to do too loud, which I've been told my entire life. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, just, you know... I get excited, and then the volume gets higher the more you get excited, right? And then sometimes I just get carried away, you know. It's not a bad trait. Passion, excitement. So what do you think writing is a... Do you think it's going to be a lost... Um, discipline? Yeah, discipline's the word I'm looking for. I mean, I, I'm sure it won't be. That sounds... No, I mean... Over the top, but it, 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 I mean, even I... I used to read a lot more than I do. I, I get a lot of my information now from podcasts, from online, from, you know, there's, it's easy to be lazy. And I don't even know if it's a bad thing because I can absorb, I'm sure you're going to tell me this is not right, but I, I get a lot of my information through different mediums than, than reading and I find reasons not to read just because it's so easy for me to find something out. Um, do you think, well, actually two questions. Do you, do you think it's going to end up being an art form as opposed to a necessity and... Um, you know, in terms of long-form reading, I mean, or, or do you think everything will just move electronic? And also, what is that a danger? You know, what, I'm sure you understand this. I don't. What, you know, what are the differences between taking in information that way versus all the other ways we now take in information? Well, we, we take in too much information just from scrolling. So we read, we read too, mu too, too, too much and we read too many articles or we see too many, um, you know, rants and raves. And, and that's, you know, you, you scroll through Facebook, you have, you know, a hundred news stories and you want to be concerned about them all and you can't, so you have to pick your battles. So that's a problem. So to, when you can sit down with a novel and turn off the computer, that's a good thing. You can concentrate on that one novel or that one, um, that, that, you know, uh, that one piece of non-fiction. I'm reading Stephen Pinker again now, and, and it's, it's quite difficult, this one. It's quite dense for me because it's very scientific, but I have to be alone in a quiet room to read that. I couldn't be anywhere else. I could not read that on my computer. I could not read that in a coffee shop. I have to be in a quiet... I have to be in, in my room alone. So, yeah, sometimes you have to be... Um, I believe there's really a place for the book. Uh, that you, There are some things I don't think you can read online. Mm -hmm. uh, the because you need you need the closeness that that it's very personal reading a novel it's just you and it it's almost like making love quite intimate so close to your face as well you know it's it's like almost like you and it just you and it together computer isn't like that there's things popping up all the time too like an author that i respect probably one of my favorite authors called philip roth he said the novel is dead and other people have said well it like you said it we will just it will just you know, storytelling will take another form, like a bit like I do with the visual storytelling. But the thing is, you you need the novel. The visual storytelling for, for me is fun, and I'm glad I'm glad it's a younger audience, right? I'm glad they like it, and and I think it's educational, you know, because I can write about Philip Roth and turn it into a cartoon, right? But it but it's it's not the same. So I would hope that people would, you know, maybe watch a ten minute animation, but then still take a book upstairs. I think it's very important that we keep reading. I think it's essential and certainly novels because they take you in, into another person's life or people's lives and that creates empathy and understanding because these novelists good novelists mm. have fucking poured out their heart they've they've spent their entire lives figuring out these personalities and then you get to read it in 200 pages what somebody's lived 50 years you know to, to write about and so it's very important to to lose yourself in fiction, but it's also important to 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 spend a lot of time alone with non-fiction history or psychology or philosophy, you know. And you won't get that online ever. I wonder how it will. Ju I just wonder how online and technology will change the nature of the industry. I mean, people who've been around for fifty years still have that mentality of writing a book, right? But you, you wonder about kids in their twenties, early twenties, 
who who you know is that kind of I want to write a book ambition going to kind of dissolve into you know I want to express in different ways actually well, the problem is with the technology available now is that you know you have young kids online who are almost pop stars right they can do selfies become famous they can they can use software on a computer and, and actually sound like decent singers and they can use software to, to, mm. to put a tune behind a song so anybody can become famous now the problem is is that a lot of people that, that I think grow up wanting to be novelists um, quite a few of them do it because they like the idea of becoming a novelist because it was cool back then so these are the people that would now be making bling songs online but a few people write novels because they just have to tell their stories or they have trauma or they have you know they <clears throat> so those people <clears throat> will will keep they'll the younger generation will still have those people but all the ones all the ones that kind of romanticize being a novelist and it ain't cute sitting here in your underwear 10 hours a day never seeing any other people it's not it's, it's not that romantic writing books no it's um i you wonder though don't you whether i mean as you're talking there i'm thinking just with the whole kind of emergence of ai and i mean the internet in general it's you know, the ability to communicate... Ultimately, it's all about communicating how you feel, right? I mean, all of this stuff is, in one way or another. But, the old, you know, tech may get us to a point where, you know, I can use AI to communicate my story through a number of different personas or types of writers. And, you know, I, 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 my input level is, you know, this, this and this happened, and the output level is AI that creates the story for me based on me still giving the same amount of emotional capacity input. Well, the, I don't pro know, the problem is as well that, you know, a lot of my favourite books are completely taboo. They, they'd be banned now, like Lolita. Yeah. It's, it's a book about a paedophile, right? Beautifully written. One of the greatest things ever written. Uh, my other book, uh, you know, <laughs> I... <laughs> I, I won't go through them, but the thing is, <laughs> w when you're doing that online, it wouldn't be. It, it would be. It, it it would not. It would transgress the terms of service of of certain uh, companies. The the novel has this certain freedom, right? Yeah, that's true. Um. So you know the stuff I the, the cartoons that I write, I have to really be careful. YouTube has this spider, this algorithm, and there's certain words. It's really daft because I you know all I want to say is um I don't know. Cunnilingus or something, and what, what's so bad about oral sex? Are, are we really that coy that we can't? That, I mean, we all like it, we all do it, yet we can't talk about it on the internet. But the novel's quite free, and I like that. So, you know, it's almost like leave the novel alone. You can be taboo. You can do whatever you want. And it, the thing is, it's very important for the novel to be taboo at times. It's it, because you know, it's like the reason I think there's a good argument why the Marquis de Sade should should exist because we need we need to see everything what's and all don't hide from humanity that that Jungian dark side never hide from that you, we need we we need these novelists to be writing about it because if you start hiding from that and then it starts to fester and we don't talk about it and then you know you, you have chaos and and serial killers and people that can't understand themselves so yeah we need we need novelists to keep writing about the taboo but you're right I think the next generation will well, I mean, even now, the young, the young novelists, I keep reading these New York Times Guardian book reviews, great, great young, you know, great new novels, and the, every single young, great young novelist I've read, book, I'm talking Booker Prize winners and mm. Pulitzer winners, they were horrible. Really? Politically correct tribe, yeah, just horrid. So Pete, just they could not write. breaking the rules at all, just... No, mm. absolutely just, just, uh, what's the word? Um, like platitudinous. Just, just politically correct, you know. You know there was a, a plot developed and everything worked that people could write, and they certainly had a, a you know, a, a, an expansive vocabulary. Yet they were shit. They told me nothing about the world. They were written by twenty-four-year-olds who'd never been out of university. Mm -hmm. Yet they wrote it in a politically correct way. So there was always a gay guy, a black guy, a transgender, you know. And it's like, my God, what, what? Why are they winning Pulitzer Prizes? I mean, there's a parallel. Lolita, there's a, like that's a book. You there's know, a parallel to Hollywood, right? I, I mean, yeah, I mean, Hollywood's film, doing the same. Filmmaking is just the same. Not, yeah. not that you haven't got great stuff out there, but certainly mainstream filmmaking is exactly the same as that. Yeah. Thing. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they won't be this great kind of Orwellian uh, censoring of all things that are artistic. That's a kind of dystopian point of view but then you've got these films like you know it's a silly film but it's kind of 
truthful idiocracy, you know, and you have you have these points of view of, of you know these opinions by by some kind of uh, you know dystopian writers. One of them, one of them, my friend, that that yeah yeah it will be the end of creativity, that we will get to a point where everything is so censored in a way that it that it, it sells. But you know people are going to profit who own the technology. Yet we we've lost like Facebook right now cracking down on just about everything right. So if you have a point of view and it's a bit right wing, you get called a white supremacist. And even journalism itself, as I was watching Matt Taibbi the other day, who I think is a great journalist, saying that you know even even some of the greatest, um, some of the best, or, or what I viewed the best kind of publications like the New York Times or the Guardian, um, they're just timid. Mm. They just follow the the party line. Uh, and that's a problem, I, but I'm hoping that won't happen with fiction. That all we're going to get are these really timid, tim, vapid, you know, vacuous novels by people who haven't even lived. Like you know, I I like the people that go out and smoke crack, and you know, get stabbed by hookers, or <laughs> you know, go live in Colombia and sell cocaine. You know, and lose a finger. That, that's great. A lot of novelists do that. I've, I've, I've spent a lot of my life doing things I won't mention. But, you know, I like those people that have lived on the edge, you know. And, 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 and what I've been seeing lately, and, I, you know, I don't know if I'm wrong about this. This is an opinion, of course. It's just, yeah, a lot of, a lot of tame fiction writing. And I hope that doesn't become a thing. You know, there was still... Philip Roth's about to die, probably... Jonathan Franzen, and, and I've got a friend in Bangkok. I've got a few friends in Bangkok that are good novelists, actually. A lot of them. It's a lot of good writers in Bangkok. Um, so, yeah, there are people out there. I've met, I've met them who, who are still writing good books. Um, but, yeah, maybe I was just unlucky. The last few books I read were, were horrid, except one um, that, that was a little bit taboo. It, it was so, certainly the most unpolitically correct novel in ages and that was uh what was it called i forgot the name it won the book of prize actually so that's a good sign yeah so sign of the times um i'll give you three let's have three quick fire questions before we wrap up we're, we're okay. i think we're just over an hour or something it's friday night probably gonna have a bite to eat or drink now or something but uh Quick fire in what way? Well, is quick fire is in completely the not, random well they're kind of random yeah i mean they're okay. slightly random yeah they're just so slightly, what do you think of slightly off, off the what do you what? Think of mice. That's, do you have an opinion? That's very random. They're not quite that oh, random. Okay. That would be... I should try ones like that. Um, if you could go to dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, God, Matt. <laughs> See, I need an hour to think about this. Dead or alive? It would have to be someone probably despotic. So I'd, have to, I'd have to know why, what, what was going on. I mean, Adolf Hitler, maybe. I'd love to go to dinner with Adolf Hitler. I mean, I don't believe that Jesus ever existed, but that would be good. That would be interesting. Um, but yes, like 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 a major despot. Like, there's no point in going to dinner with Attila the Hun, right? Because he lives in a completely different culture and environment. You wouldn't be even if you could have a translation app. There'd be it'd be useless. You know, he'd just be talking about fucking his um, um, harem. Um, but Adolf Hitler would be would be a really interesting talk. It would Actually, be, yeah. Um, that would suit you. I can yeah. imagine. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't choose an artist or a creative person. What's the point in that? I'm trying to learn. Yeah, yeah. We, we just talk about be... how we both like the same book or the same painting. No, I'd, I'd like someone who was very different from me. So, yeah. Or maybe even... Um, no, actually, psychopathic people, serial killers, and just... that they, they, you, you know, I wrote to one for a year for my novel. They're quite boring in the end because they, they're, they're, they're just too... Um, um, they've fallen. They're they they they're just too obsessed with their own fantasies. That becomes really boring. If all you talk about is your penis all the time, and and you know killing people. So Adolf Hitler would be funny. Because, funny? No, no. I don't know if it'd be funny. That that just came out. But he, but his his take on politics and his um you know why he did what he did, his solutions and things and things like that. If um if sixteen year old James walked in the the room now, what would you tell him? What advice would you give him? 
Well, if he saw me, his head would be fucked forever, right? And would be in <laughs> That's not a good sign. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying my appearance. I'm saying if he's... No, I know. You know what's funny about that? When I was 16, I used to take, take a lot of LSD. And one of the things I always used to think, and it's funny you say that, is... And I always use the age 40, and I'm not that far off 40. And I, when I was tripping, I always used to think, man, I wish I could see a video of myself at 40 talking to me. What, yeah, I was fascinated by what the future would bring. It's a, another creative thing. I'm always fascinated by what the future would... So what would I tell the 16-year-old James? Um, well, the things... I wouldn't change anything. I, 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 I like my scars. You know, I'm all, I'm okay with my scars. Yeah, you're, I'm, I'm uh, with you. I never hurt anyone else badly, um, so you know I, I I don't have any like um, regrets in that case. There's nothing I feel that bad about. I've never, you know, ah, oh, I once like kicked my dog. <laughs> so, so you tell him not to kick the dog? <laughs> no, because I stopped at 16 anyway. It was about I was about 12. Oh, okay. Now I wouldn't say anything to him. There's no, I, no advice I'd, I'd give myself. I'd just say, just go ahead and you know. Um, crash a few times because hey you're going to get to 45 I know that for sure that's good advice what's a word you really love or really hate word? yeah uh, the word I hate the most is awesome <laughs> I, I don't I don't like I, I just, use it I use it quite a lot I just really uh, I don't mind people using it I'm not, I'm not going to you know uh, I, I'm not going to tell you off for, for using it uh, be, 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 uh, phenomenal, awesome. Any any adjectives that get yeah. misused and appropriated, be, you know, because we should save these 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 words like brilliant. As we yeah. used to say, brilliant is a good word, but it should be used only for things that are brilliant and awesome. Something that creates awe should only really be used. So I don't like I don't like words that get misappropriated. You don't like misuse of the language. Yeah, they, they get taken and they get exploited. And then they become nothing. They lose their value. So awesome now. It's got no. It has no value. It used to have lots of value, but it's been you know, kind of. We see it online all the time. People on TV. So it's, it, you know, it used to mean you know. To inspire awe, which is which is quite a beautiful thing, and and now it means you know, I could I I could just like hold the door for someone, and an an American digital noble would say awesome mate. <laughs> it's like I held the fucking door. It's not awesome. I did not inspire awe, you know. I mean, when I inspire awe, just wait till my wings come out of my back, you know, or something. Or, and I and I fly, you know, something. So I don't like words being misappropriated. So awesome, definitely awesome is my worst word. A favorite word? Oh, I have lots of words I love. Um, I like words with like lots of lots of power. Very powerful words that you only use certainly like. Um, and words that just just sound strange, like vitriolic, such a beautiful word. It sounds like part of you know vitriolic. It sounds sounds like a, a, an acid. Or uh, I don't know. It's a bit. It's a hard thing to answer. Well, you do, you're answering it. It's interesting. Oh, I'm not going to say that's 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 just a word I like. I, I like words that just just have power, and that that has power to me. You know. Um, you know, you, you, when, you, when you have certain authors that I quite like authors that rant a lot, you know, a lot of my favourite authors, they like to go on these great rants. They use very poetic language and they often use very similar words. You, the, the, ranting, the ranting kind of uh, thesaurus, the rant, or the ranting collection of words, you know, you, is, 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 they, they use a lot of the same words because they, they exude power. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I really, a friend in England the other day told me, you know, what's up with you, you don't talk like you used to talk, your novel it's a bit too wordy, I'm like, well, you know, this is the toolbox, I've been given the opportunity to like add more tools, wouldn't anybody do that? Like if you were a, pl a, a, a carpenter, would, would you just have a saw, or would you fill it up with all kinds of things that you, then you can make better doors, you know, so when I, I want more words in, in my toolbox so I can create better stories you know yeah so you know but you get looked down upon you get looked down on because you know it sounds pretentious and i do understand that when i'm talking to you down the pub if i say oh man beer is splendid today how um aromatic or something and and i and i just use what you know we, we don't need to know that I just say it's good 
So yeah, there's, writing, there's, it's very different. There's right? a time and a place, but in my books, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna use my tools, and you know, I, but you know what what happens is people read it and they don't understand it, so then they say you're pretentious because that's the reflex because they're actually just pissed off that they don't understand it. And what I say is, well, do what I did. You pick up a dictionary. You know, there's, no, there's no such thing as a difficult word. All words, they don't have, there's not an easy or difficult word in existence. All words are the same. They all have the same um, level of difficulty. It's, it's just up to you to read the meaning. Once you know the meaning, it's no longer difficult. So. Very true. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So if people want to find out more about you, where can well, they, I, I, can I, they get hold of you? Is I mean, you, yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know why people would want to do that. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I might want you to write I, that story. I, 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 like need to, I need to finish my my first novel. First. Well, I mean, people, I, I haven't. People may my, people may want to. Um, I mean, you know, you write people's stories, right? You write. All right, Benny Murphy. People write. may want to email you and, and do the same thing and. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, mean, they can Google your name. Your, your just name's... My, I'm all over Google, so just Google my name. But the full name, James Austin Farrell. James Austin, as yeah. in Austin. As in, as in Austin car. Powers. Aust- as in Austin Powers. And then Farrell, as Powell. in Colin Farrell. And it, there's all kinds of things. And they will find you that Lots way. of ways you can contact me there, yeah. Yeah, cool. And then you can find lots of old short stories and journalism and things like that. Cool. All right, Mr. Farrell, thanks for joining the podcast. Let's have a glass of wide day. Okay, thank you Matt. Cheers.